0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Jim Boyle and Crumble, the Australian Open mascot from Glasgow. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
2: Well, hello, and thank you to lovely Jim and to uh, even lovelier crumble uh don't take that the wrong way jim we just love crumble our two-time australian open mascot we don't quite know what jim's got against his other dog who doesn't get anywhere near the tennis podcast david
3: that dog's just not into the podcast catherine so jim's <laughs> sparing that dog <laughs> i think maybe jim's uh jim and the other dog are sponsoring the snooker podcast <laughs> right
2: i'd never thought of it that way i wish i'd never asked matt <laughs> how are you doing
4: very, very well, thank you. Particularly so because when I appeared on our video call, you were both complimentary of my new haircut.
2: It was an arresting sight, Matt. <laughs> uh, but Matt Roberts, ladies and gentlemen, has had what would, no offence, Matt, be a completely unremarkable male mm. haircut in non-pandemic times. That's what uh, I'm going but, for. Uh, in <laughs> it's very much commensurate with your vibe, mm. Matt. Yeah. Um yeah. Is that okay to say you're not a man that likes to make a statement with your hair? Would that be a fair fair assessment?
4: Absolutely. And the hair previously yeah. was making a bit too much of a statement. Hence why it needed cutting.
2: What, what statement did it make to your hairdresser when you when you walked
4: in last week? <laughs> she went, oh, "Oh, dear. Work to be done."
2: And this is a woman that's been seeing pandemic hair for the past 2 weeks. Exactly. Yeah. So, in normal times, an unremarkable haircut, but in the context of uh, the 70s rocker look that Matt's been sporting for a while, a very arresting new look for Matt. David, you've got the same look you've had for the past 13 years that I've known you, (laughs) and you've managed to maintain that throughout numerous lockdowns, which I don't know. I don't know how you've done that. It's
3: changed a bit of colour over those 13 years uh, from its original. Um and that's not without any product that's not with any product i should say um yeah i i not i Nothing i th- on with a bit of product I think complimentary matt is probably stretching it, acknowledged it um i I personally preferred the seventies look myself, but you know, oh great, I realise I'm being <laughs> outvoted here, but there we are. <laughs>
4: Well well, I it took it as a compliment. completely unnecessary
2: <laughs> insult, yeah, right, okay, on to the tennis, which was uh, unlike David's attempt at being complimentary uh sensational this weekend. I was completely exhilarated by the weekend of tennis that we've just had I think it would it's it's its brilliance would stand up even in non pandemic times, but the fact that you know we were starved of weekends like that of uh of tennis where it all seems to be happening at once and you don't know where to look and it's just you know a glut of glorious glorious meaningful tennis um the the fact that we were starved of it for so long still still elevates it and I'm glad I hope that sh- extra sheen never wears off uh when we do get to experience joyous days of tennis like we had uh, it was a great great week of tennis all around four tournaments um Four very interesting champions um, and some truly sensational matches. I'll, I'll whiz you through. I won't keep you hanging on the edge of your seat any longer. In Istanbul, Serana Casteyer won her first title in 13 years. How has Saranika Steyer been on the tour for 13 years? Uh, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel ancient, David. But that's an incredible story for her. Uh, In Belgrade, Aslan Karatsev lost out to Matteo Berrettini in the final. So Berrettini with the title there. But after Karatsev beat world number one Djokovic at his home tournament in an extraordinary semi-final. In Barcelona, speaking of extraordinary matches, Rafael Nadal beat Stefanos Tsitsipas 7-5 in the deciding set in a final that lasted three more than three hours and 30 minutes. And uh, in Stuttgart, we learnt that Aryna Sabalenka very much can play on clay, um, which was unconfirmed seven days ago, but is very much now confirmed. In fact, maybe I'd like to revise that too. Aryna Sabalenka doesn't even notice what surface she's walking on and just does the same thing she does no matter where in the world she is and when she's on it'll be on no matter what's beneath
3: her feet Hmm. the only thing I would say is that she knows how to play indoor clay now we know that I, I still have my doubts that when we get on one of those dusty courts where the Clay's flying around and it's hot and really feels like it's been baked and the ball's jumping off the surface and she's sliding about the place. I'm not sure whether that will work as well because she's yet to prove that. She's struggled on clay. And and Stuttgart is the one where Kvitova and um Pliskova have both won. So I'm st- I'm still hedging my bets a little bit on it, but this gives you certainly gives me the feeling that that, that might be possible because that's not an easy sir, so Even even though those conditions are, are better for her, she still beat some proper players this week. In order to, and she pushed Barty, who of all players can make you uncomfortable on your own feet, and she still hung with her for the vast majority of that match.
4: Yeah, I think the sort of standout performance of the week was Sabalenka's against Halep. It was a match which actually reminded me of Sviontek against Halep at the French Open last year, where Halep comes into the match looking serene on clay, probably the favourite for the tournament. And then she gets knocked off the court in about an hour with the racket taken out of her hand. I think we did speculate at the time that if memory serves, that Sviontek halep match was indoors because it was a rainy day mm. in Roland Garros, and it, it felt quite conditions-based at the time. I did think, I'm not sure Sviantek would be able to do this to Halep on a windy day. I mean, she very much proved herself at the French Open in all conditions, Sviantek, but that particular match felt like to hit the tennis ball that powerfully, that sweetly, the indoor conditions were helping her. And I, I do think there was a little bit of that with Savalenka against Halep this week in Stuttgart. As you said, the way she's able to take the surface away is quite remarkable. I think I think Petra Kvitova can do similar things. It certainly helps in those indoor conditions to play that really aggressive first strike tennis that Sabalenka was playing. And I think Barty mm. was able to disrupt her in just a few more ways than Hallett was able to in those conditions.
2: Mm. Yeah, because Barty, of course, won the title. She she beat Sabalenka n- not easily. It was a slightly weird scoreline, 3-6, 6 love. Six three. She went on to win the doubles title as well uh, with Jennifer Brady. More on that later, including Porsche news. Um, but yeah, I suppose I led with Sabalenka because a, a, a bit like parallels with Serbia. That that win for Sabalenka over Halep in the semis is what I think will stick with me most from that week. Just seeing Halip, sort of a goddess on clay, just sort of floundering in the face of arena Sabalenka, who we didn't even know with, who could play on clay at all at the start of the week. Um, I do accept the conditions were a massive factor, um, but particularly impressive from Barty, I think in that final that she let the Sabalenka chaos kind of happen and and stuck with it um, because... Yeah, it's easy to get sucked into the vortex that is Arena Sabalenka and the fact that it feels like when she walks onto a tennis court everything is within her control. Winning, losing, just being an absolute nightmare for opponents, it's it's all yeah, it's it's all up to her. So I thought Barty did did very well um when within that vortex really. And she's now got an extraordinary record going, Matt, against fellow. Top ten players, Barty.
4: Yeah, she's won. She's won ten matches in a row against top ten players. Which I looked into that, and I think there are only four players this century with a better streak. So Serena and Venus won fifteen matches against top ten players. en Ann won seventeen at one point, and Kim Kleister's won eleven, which obviously Barty would be aiming to overtake. So it's a it's a record of Barty's that really stands up against you know some of the best players we've seen in women's tennis over the last 20 years. That's two tournaments now where she's won Miami and Stuttgart having to beat top 10 players in the quarterfinals, semifinals and final. She is having tough draws and she is coming through and all sorts of different players, Sabalenka, Svitolina, Drescu, these are all very different players and Barty can handle them. And I think that's, that's what we're learning about ash party and as she goes on this incredible career that she's having she can flourish in so many different conditions so many different surfaces against so many different types of players it's such an adaptable game she's got and i think what you said that ability for her to stay calm and measured is a big part of that she she's able to adjust herself mid-match in a way which is really standing out at the moment um Yeah, this was a title on indoor clay. She's won a title on outdoor clay. She's won a title on grass. She's won titles on indoor hard, outdoor hard. There seems to be nothing that she can't conquer at the moment, Barty. And I just love the way she goes about it in her very measured measured manner, yet her tennis is so potent.
2: You're the king of the Barty predictions, David. Is she favourite for the French Open? Is she going to... Are we going to call it defend her title? I don't know. We, do we have two defending champions at yeah. the French Open this year on the women's side? I
3: kind of feel like we do. Yeah, because she didn't play last year's and Fionnac won it. So we do kind of have two defending champions. Um, I would say she is the favourite. Uh, and I, I think... I'm sort of feeling that there might be a theory here that she that the the game that can go off the rails quite dramatically sometimes. We've seen at the Australian Open twice, probably maybe maybe more, and we've seen at Wimbledon against and Rist that day, who played very well, I should say. I I kind of think that it, it's less likely to happen on clay because she's got a bit more time, and I don't know. I I, I mean. I woke up this morning trying to work out what her best surface is. And, and I, I think she would definitely not put play at the top of the list. If you remember, her view used to be, oh, I just want to get onto the grass. The sooner that comes around, the better. And then she won the French Open. And yet you just see her game just <laughs> seems perfectly suited to it with the kick serve and with the really looping forehand. And yet, she's still got the 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 choice on the backhand. Now, it's, now it's a proper choice. It's not just a I've got a slice backhand, and if I'm pushed into it, I'll I'll hit a bunted backhand on with two hands. She's got a choice there, and uh, the way she's able to just withstand and absorb whatever whatever her opponent plays, she has an answer for it if she's on a game. And I think she's on her game on clay more often than the others. I think that's likely to happen. So I'd probably say clay is. Her best surface? She could
2: be the Brizzy Borg. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Brummy Borg last week. Brizzy Borg. Mm. She's from Brisbane, isn't she? You're both looking at me blankly. I thought I'd absolutely triumphed there. She, If she did back-to-back French Open and and Wimbledon, Brizzy Borg.
3: What what do you think her best surface is?
2: Yeah. It's not not the reception I was expecting for that. Let's (laughs) let's put it that way. (laughs) Um... Was that aimed at me? I, I think she doesn't have one at the moment, and I think she'd, I think she'd probably still say her favourite surface is grass. I think I, I get the impression she's itching to get back onto the grass, even with winning titles on clay and hard courts, and the French Open title defence coming up. I think she's dreaming of Nottingham. And wimbledon. i think
3: she wants that to be her best service because probably mm. wimbledon of all of them is the one that's most heralded in in australia okay i mean you might say the australian open but if she if she could win wimbledon i think that that would just be the ultimate in in many ways And i think it is for a lot of the australian players and her game just looks theoretically perfectly suited to it um and yet I I still have in my head the the match she played against Dario Casacchina there, 2018. Okay, she's a much, much better player now than she was then. But Casacchina just picked her apart that day in the end. Um, So very interesting. I, I, I love seeing these players move from surface to surface. It's one of the great plus points of the sport, really, that you get to see them challenged in these different ways. But she definitely looks... Everything looks so compact and... And in its place, I, I think it'll just be interesting to see week upon week whether there's any deterioration in how she feels about life because it's a long old road road trip. She looks happy right now, and that's mm. great, and I hope that carries on. But it's mm. a long trip, this.
4: Mm. And a long mm. trip virtually on her own. She's got Craig Tizer there, but she doesn't have the rest of the team that she would usually have travelling with her. Yeah, I think scheduling and not getting road-weary is going to be a very important aspect of how Ash Barty's season pans out. Mm.
3: I,
2: I loved Sablenka-Barty, uh, which I had to rewatch watch because uh, yesterday I had a 24-hour clock fail and uh, read 1,300 hours as, oh, 3 p.m. How inconvenient that it starts at the same time as the Barcelona final. <laughs> uh, no. Um, uh, yeah, I, lo- I I love the final, but I still I still feel like the world has denied me Barty Hallop and uh, I want to see that on clay, as a matter of urgency. So if Madrid could deliver on that front, I would be, um, yeah, I would be most pleased. Uh, now I mentioned earlier that uh, Barty also won the doubles title with the partner for the week, Jennifer Brady. I know what you're thinking, folks. The biggest news of the weekend is that Ash Barty is leaving Germany with two Porsches. However, will she do that? Um, but no, Jen Jen Brady has been denied her rightful Porsche, uh, and I am saying Porsche because I've been put right several times on Twitter this week <laughs> uh, about the pronunciation. So thank you very much. Now, you know, when I'm in Porsche related conversations, I'll, I'll sound like I belong. Um, yeah, because despite the fact that they positioned tantalizingly three Porsches on the court, only the singles champion wins the Porsche. And the two other Porsches were decoy Porsches. I've never said Porsche
3: <laughs> so much, um, which I think is is a cruel joke especially when you're dangling them in front of the doubles players as they yeah. play the final mm. i mean what happens to those porsches do they go back or and what and what do the doubles champions
4: get then well the master of ceremonies said in addition to your prize money you're getting <laughs> <laughs> and look, their eyes are lighting up and then it's it it's these tag watches which I'm sure I mean, love was the
2: shot on was the shot on that framed so that the Porsches <laughs> were in the background behind him, <laughs> engines running <laughs> I mean, I just think look, it's fine i d- I don't expect all doubles champions everywhere to be gifted fancy cars uh, upon winning. I just think don't have the Porsches on the court, especially when the previous week doubles champions had walked away with with Volvo's <laughs> I think. Yeah, I just feel sorry for Jennifer Brady. Um, but but well done to her. And uh, it probably takes the sting out of the tail for uh, Kravchik and Matek Sands that uh, in losing the final, they didn't also
0: miss out on Porsche's. you
1: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
3: hello tennis podcast listeners david here now you might know that i love a bit of cooking and i think i'm quite good at it but if i'm honest even i get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too.
2: So that was Stuttgart. Uh, We're now going to take a wee hop over to now Barcelona or Belgrade. Uh, I don't know where to go. Should we go to Belgrade? Go on then. Let's go to Belgrade. I've never been to Belgrade, David, have you?
3: I haven't, no. But let's pretend we're there. Let's let's analyse it as if we are.
2: Um, If we were there, David, we might have uh, received a vaccine. I know you've already had your first dose, but is another tournament that was um, making vaccines available to players and I think uh, some ATP staff uh, that were there, which is a fantastic service. I believe they even had um, a choice of vaccines so that you could have one that's also um, readily available in your home nation because obviously people returning home needing a second dose um, which is really I I just think it's fantastic for for people that are living life on the road and, and might otherwise have to to miss out on their place in the queue um, because they're not at, not at home. So, yeah, I think that is a fantastic thing. Players, coaches, staff, lots of very happy uh, vaccinated folk leaving Belgrade. Uh, also very happy, not sure on the vaccinated front, but uh, Matteo Berrettini leaving Belgrade with a title. He beat Aslan Karatsev in a deciding set tie break. Now, I've just watched... Uh, highlights of this match because, of course, it clashed with Rafael Nadal and uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, a, a, a final that it looked to me like it took a while to get going. Um, quite a, a one-sided first set to Berrettini, and then Karatsev uh, really got it going in the second set. I thought Karatsev looked quite tired uh, in the opening set, very understandable given what he'd done just the day before to beat Novak Djokovic in... Yeah, we've written here in the notes one of the best matches of the year. And uh, I know what ended up following in Barcelona the following day will give it a run for its money. But I think the the match of the weekend was Karatev Djokovic. Discuss.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, the uh, that match, that felt like a... I don't want to say a Grand Slam final, but it felt like a massive deal because of the way... Djokovic was just trying his heart out and being pushed and then ultimately prevented from winning a match that meant a great deal to him. He obviously in his home town okay there wasn't a big crowd because there wasn't allowed to be but it was it was one of those comical situations where every time Karatsev hit a a blinding winner there was silence and every time Djokovic did anything positive he was hailed this crowd and and he was stretching every sinew to try to cope with the Karatsev game the way that he does and he still couldn't do it in the end and I mean look he he said he wasn't completely happy with his game afterwards You'd, you'd understand that from a guy who's won as much as he has they get conditioned to believe in that if they play well then they win but Karatsev is just the disruptor of the year he's somebody I can't remember somebody coming along in a year and just disturbing the equilibrium of the tennis ecosystem the way that he has just out of nowhere I know I know the out of nowhere-ness of it all is is the story but it's the way in which he's doing it The, the 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 power and precision and pureness of his strokes Take some stopping because it's not just flailing away. This is just his natural stroke production produces this incredible pace of shots relentlessly, and he's so talented. Um, and Djokovic couldn't deal with it in the end, and I think it was it was a really special match, and the the the, the drama of it all, and the ultimate victory for Karatsev just underlining everything else he's done so far this year this was the biggest week of the lot for me this was the moment that I thought actually there's a player we're going to be seeing a lot for a long time because there's not that much going wrong with this game
4: yeah I mean we asked the other week when Djokovic lost to Dan Evans what was the balance of Djokovic having a bad day and Evans having a brilliant day and I think you know we gave Evans a lot of credit of course we did but I think we all recognise that Djokovic was well off his game that day. To me, this was a totally different scenario. I actually thought there were numerous times in the match where, as you put it on Twitter, David, Djokovic pressed his 18-time major champion button and played some fantastic tennis. And he was forced to raise his game to a really high level just to try and live with Karatsev. I mean... I cannot get over the fact that he saved 23 break points against Novak Djokovic Karatsev to withstand all that pressure against the guy many regard as the greatest returner of all time. And in the final set, he saved all 10 break points. I mean, it was unbelievable the shots he was coming up with when he needed them most. I mean, he must have the best drive volley in men's tennis the number of times he finishes points up there with that shot he, he's a he's such a fascinating element he's the guy nobody has prepared for nobody has planned for he's like the guy who turns up in series four and it's like who is this guy is he real <laughs> do we trust him who sides he on he's that guy and i find it fascinating because he's got no baggage against these top players and he's able to just sort of go out quite fearlessly and swing away with his natural game and cause so many problems
2: Matt can I please give you the chance as you did on Twitter to quote David Foster Wallace in relation to Aslan Karatsev? you know you've made it when David Fos- Foster Wallace is being quoted about you <laughs> I think
4: yes yeah, so David Foster Wallace has got a fascinating essay on Tracy Austin in fact it's on Tracy Austin's autobiography and Tracy Austin was his favorite player and he loved watching her play and he was really looking forward to reading her autobiography. And let's just say he was a little bit disappointed by it. He he, he didn't think it quite went into the sort of analytical depth that he was expecting from such a great athlete. And the whole point of the essay is, well, maybe the very fact of being a great athlete in high pressure moments is that you don't have thoughts going through your mind. And therefore, you can't really articulate what you're feeling when you win the US Open as a teenager, for example. And it just reminded me this match of that essay, because after we'd saved all those great points, Kratsev said, I wasn't thinking of anything in those moments. And that is basically David Foster Wallace's point. He says, perhaps you need to not be thinking of anything in order to achieve great things in tight moments. He says, the real secret behind top athlete's genius may be as esoteric and obvious and dull and profound as silence itself. The real answer to the question of just what goes through a great player's mind as he stands at the centre of hostile crowd noise and lines up the, three, the free throw that will decide the game might well be nothing at all. And... I th- I don't think Karatsev is having thoughts in those moments.
2: He he's telling us he's not having yeah, thoughts. And that's
4: what's that's one of the many things which is allowing him to do what he's doing.
2: And I think that's kind of what players mean when they say wafty stuff about staying present, mm. isn't it? I think yeah.
3: Um, clear your mind mm. um
2: clear your mind in a very low level way i can completely relate to that my skating coach jane used to tell me that thinking was my main downfall i would be skating around around lining up for my double loop um and she'd say she'd shout i can hear you thinking she'd shout across the rink at me i can hear you thinking i can see you thinking about all the ways that this might go wrong um and i find it a superpower people that are able to to clear their mind and be present like that i know i know meditation is supposed to be a tool to help you with that it hasn't helped me all that much <laughs> so far in life uh, but i'll i'll keep plugging away um but i do find it fascinating um uh, well, David Foster Wallace talking about anything is fascinating, but I do think he's absolutely tapped into something there. And Karatsev is so brilliant in his non plusness about everything, isn't he? The first question from the interviewer after that Djokovic match was, is this the biggest win of your career? Which is a great question. You know, this is a guy that's just reached the Australian Open semifinals out of nowhere and this is only an ATP 250 event that he's albeit he's beaten the world number one but it's a very low level event and he said yeah I think so straight off the bat and I thought oh this would be a great interview so he said that this is the best moment of his career and then he just sounds completely bored (laughs) (laughs) about the whole thing He's like, uh, so, you know, what did you, he was like, oh, I guess I just played really well and just wasn't really thinking about much. And yeah, it's great. <laughs> it,
3: it, it's it's like Andre Agassi has given him his game to me, the way, the way he hits wow. the tennis ball, uh, the, the the take backs on the ground strokes and the way the ball comes off the strings. Um, I mean, I don't know about the return. Uh, I haven't seen enough of that. We'll, we'll have a look at that on grass, but Someone like me who who just watched the whole of Agus's career, I, I love watching that sort of stroke production. It's just different to what we get these days.
2: Yeah, you're you're a big karate fan, David.
3: Definitely becoming one. Because and, and I think Would that be fair to say I think this yeah. week this is the week in which I did because I see this as sustainable now. I mean, I think that there are mm. possibles that that he might get worked out by other coaches. I think that, that can happen in in sports, but just doesn't feel like there's that much to go wrong in his game and 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 it's a game that is hurting
4: the very very best which i which i find fascinating one of the interesting aspects about it for me is that he's living a very different experience to the rest of us like for all of us who follow the tours week in week out he's come out of nowhere but for him he's what 27 this is not the start. He, he has played a lot on the challenger tour, a lot on the futures tour, and he puts what he's doing now down to an awful lot of hard work that he's gone through with his coach. And I think there's a sense that maybe he's, he's ready for this, even if we weren't if that makes sense. Mm. And it feels like he belongs.
2: The statistics say that he just wasn't playing tennis two years ago because he wasn't playing on the ATP tour. You know, you search ATP tour activity and nothing comes up. But he was playing tons of tennis. Mm. We just weren't taking any notice of it. And a Google Images search will reveal that he has had those calves for a really long time. (laughs) Um, But, says Matteo Berrettini, calves are not everything. (laughs)
3: Especially given that there's a side-by-side photo that somebody did of them yeah. where he's got rather Am spindly I, calves.
2: I don't know whether they're um, objectively spindly calves <laughs> or whether they're, whether my whole perception of calves is now skewed <laughs> by Aslan Karatsev. I will never, ever know. So sorry, Matteo Bertini, if you've just got really normal calves, but they looked <laughs> puny. But no matter, because Matteo Berrettini is the champion of Belgrade. It took him a deciding set tie break to get the better of Aslan Karatsev. As I said, I think fatigue was quite a big factor for Karatsev, very understandably, early on in that match. But it didn't seem to be as it progressed. I, Even with the fatigue, I actually didn't give Berrettini too much of a chance in this match. He really showed me something that... I um, didn't give him enough credit for before the match. I just thought, well, they've both got great forehands and back backhands-wise, Berrettini's is not going to stand up to the scrutiny of of Karatsev's. Um, and there were a lot of backhand-to-backhand backhand cagey exchanges, each sort of um, trying to feel out the other way. Well, who's going to pull the trigger on the forehand first, I thought. And actually, Berrettini's backhand stood up to that scrutiny pretty well. Mm. I thought. And um, yeah, his nerves certainly stood up to examination very well. And he was so chuffed after the match, wasn't he? And he's given these lovely quotes about how it's the first title that his loved ones have been able to to watch him win. And it really seemed to mean a lot to him. Um, and that for me is kind of a theme of this weekend. I loved seeing how much a 12th Barcelona Open, you know, ATP 500 title meant to Rafael Nadal. And, you know, I, I loved seeing how much it meant to Matteo Berrettini to win that title in in Belgrade. So, so
3: would you have made, you would have made Karatsev the favourite for that match in in the final beforehand?
2: Yeah, I did in my head. I mean, pr- I perhaps didn't think about that in too much depth. And to be fair, I hadn't seen much of Berrettini play um, leading up to that. I was just going off what I know about Berrettini in, you know, in theory. Um, but yeah, I did make Rats of the favorite. Yeah, yeah, I've just seen him beat Novak Djokovic. Yeah,
3: I, I mean, look, yeah. we, we we do polls on the, those big finals ahead of them. Eighty-one percent. Oh,
2: I I see where you've what, gone. Well, eighty-one
3: percent of people out of 679 votes, thought Karatsev would win. And I, I mean, I would probably have gone with that as well. What I would say is Berrettini at the Australian Open this year really made me look at him differently because of his win over Karen Hatchinov, where Hatchinov chucked the kitchen sink at him and and still lost in three tie breaks. It was... I just thought... And then Berrettini had to pull out with that abdominal strain, and I thought that was a real shame. I think that there is... There's a real appetite from him to improve and to 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 dig in and show us all what he's got. And I think I know this is again only a two fifty title, but I think it's quite a significant one. I think Berrettini, I think the backhand is is still a problem and there are people that can get to it. But he's he's got wheels as well, that guy, to get around that backhand and be able to damage do damage with his forehand. So I think there's there's a lot more to come from him actually, probably more than I expected because I thought his run to the ATP finals was mm. maybe a bit of a flash in the pan. I think I think that that was an extreme year, but I think he could be a top 10 to top 20 player for long, for quite a few years.
4: He's he's sort of the forgotten man of Italian yeah. tennis because of sinner and <clears throat> Mazzetti rising and having so much praise heaped on them for the way they play the game and how exciting their futures look. And because Berrettini's breakout, as you said, happened in 2019, was quite unexpected. Last year was such a bizarre year. I've I've probably forgotten a little bit about Berrettini and he was playing fantastically well at the start of the year. ATP Cup, he had some great wins. Then he gets injured during the Australian Open. So I think that's one of the reasons why this meant so much to him. Because I think he really thought he was onto something at the start of this year, and to have that derailed by an injury, for him to come back and win a tournament so quickly, just sort of, I think, will show him that he's he's back on the right road again.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, to borrow uh, an expression that Hannah Wilkes used on Twitter, our, our lovely colleague Hannah, um, and this she used it after the uh, Karatsev win over Djokovic, but I totally think it applies to both Karatsev and Berrettini, uh, the flashes out of the pan. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that. Uh, so flashes out of pans in Belgrade, moving over to Barcelona. My goodness me, Rafael Nadal winning a 12th Barcelona Open title, beating Stefano Sitsipas 6-4, 6-7, 7-5 in a final that w- lasted over three hours and 30 minutes. Match points saved on both sides. Uh, Nadal saved a sit-to-pass match point with a a long rally during which there was a net net cord which just clipped over the net. It was one of those ones where the crowd made a murmur and everyone had their hearts in their mouths. It was an extraordinary match and Rafael Nadal is an extraordinary champion isn't he? 12 times a champion there. It's only an ATP 500. And it just means the world to him. Just means so much. He's 34 years of age. He's won that thing 11 times already. He had Novak Djokovic the day before after losing in Belgrade saying, yes, I'm annoyed. It's not nice to win at home, but it's all about the slams for me. He was asked whether he would be playing Madrid, and he said, well, it's really exhausting me to make plans at the moment. My focus is very much the slams. And I understand that. And look, the focus for all these top guys is the slams. But Nadal cared about winning that title so much. And I just love his appetite and desire for it.
4: I I think if there's been an issue with having the greats of the game going on so long into their... 30s, it has been a little bit that the focus so much has shifted to the Slams. And perhaps that has detracted a little bit from the tour at times. I think also, especially in the last few months, where getting tennis back has been focused around the Slams as well. We've had, you know, one tournament US Open, one tournament French Open, then that weird period at the end of last season where the women weren't really playing few men's indoor events. Then the start of this year was all about the Australian Open. This this to me feels like the long the first time in a while where we've had non-Slam events, which really do mean something. And the Barcelona final was the epitome of that. Both players wanted it so, so much. And I think for Nadal the fact of winning Barcelona is enough for him. But there were these extra elements as well. There was the fact that he knows Sitsipas is a threat to him at the moment. Those quotes he gave before the final. I'm not sure whether I will have found the level yet required to beat Sitsipas on clay. He was very honest about that. And I, I believe him when he says that. I was wondering myself whether Nadal is far enough along in his process to be able to beat Sitsipas this year. And, you know, the answer was yes, he can beat sitsipas And even without his very, very best tennis. He was he was brilliant, Nadal. But I think what will please him most is that he knows he's got gears to tap into. He can get even better. And if he's already playing this well in Barcelona, I think he thinks he's on absolutely the right track for the clay season as a long term as well.
2: Can Tsitsipas get better than what we saw in, in Barcelona last week?
3: Uh, I'm not sure he can get better right now. I think that that might be pretty much top level for this season. I think there are seasons in the future where he will get better, even because I think he's showing that year on year with his game. Uh, I think he, he's a, he is a learner, though, is it's the best. I think it's about feeling comfortable in the environment. This is the first time I've seen him play Dow where he's come out believing that he can just take him apart because he led both those first two sets by a break. And he lost the first one. He was 4-2 up. He lost it 6-4. He was a breakup in the second. He managed to to get that one, but not not without going the scenic route. I think he will be really disappointed that he didn't get over the line, having constructed an opportunity to win the match, to get match point. But I think he will take great heart from the fact that he came out against the guy he regards as the ultimate. And this wasn't to come from behind... Victory. This was him stamping his authority on the match. Okay, he, he didn't end up holding on to that authority. But I think you'll take great encouragement for, from that. Um, with Nadal, what really struck me, aside from the fact that he has this pretty unique ability to compartmentalize a tennis match into the most important thing in his world, no matter how many he's won before. It's also his appreciation of his own tennis mortality. And he could feel it in that match that he is going to turn 35 next month. And when I was doing a list of all the other great champions of the last 20 years or so, and bar Andre Agassi, they've pretty much all gone at the age of 31. Um, Sampras and and Edberg and Becker and McEnroe that McEnroe went on for a few years longer but the vast majority have gone by the age of 31 and here's Nadal at 34 and he's had a long amount of time playing the sport is there a lot of miles on the clock as all these titles will tell you and look how deep he's having to dig now Against the very best of what else is up there, and that's where all this emotion comes from. I'm sure this struggle to hold on, to keep in there, to keep winning these things—it's it's so difficult, and and it's and that's why he would take issue with anybody who says, "Oh, it's only a twelfth Barcelona. What's he getting so uptight about?" But it means a lot to him, and and it's it's costing him that amount of energy and output.
2: Couldn't even. Uh... Muster the energy to take his socks off before jumping in the pool <laughs> yes. this time around.
3: We'll have to give that pool a clean. <laughs>
2: yeah, I love that. Of course, that's his uh, traditional Barcelona winning celebration. He goes and does a somersault into the swimming pool and this time he left his socks on. Which yes, I
4: and normally all the ball kids jump in as well, but uh, they weren't doing that, that this they year. They just sort of COVID spectated reasons. weirdly, yes. <laughs> watching the <Nadal laughs> swim around a bit.
2: Let's all just watch a man do a short lap of a swimming pool. Um,
4: I was just going to say one one other thing on on the doll, which I thought was really nice of him and classy of him, was he used a portion of his victory speech to say how pleased he is that carlos bernardes is back carlos bernardes who suffered a heart attack in melbourne this year during the australian open quarantine period nadal just said i'm so i'm so pleased you're back speaking on behalf of all the players that seeing you umpire again it's just, it's just a great thing, and I hope we can share many more years on the circuit. I just thought that was such a nice touch from Nadal, and you know, it's no secret that Nadal and bernardes have had their issues in the past, but it just shows that those issues are never personal with Nadal. Um, I just thought it was really classy mm. from him; really stood out. Mm.
2: It was in the midst of a pretty insane closing ceremony. I thought, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> watching that, I thought, have I ever seen a Barcelona? closing ceremony before because i don't feel like i've seen anything like this before not here anywhere it was sort of st petersburg style weird there was a karaoke opera rendition of the queen song barcelona with really distorted microphones um and this was all happening while you could see sort of sit to pass on the sidelines preparing his grief chamber <laughs> to live in for the next week
3: <laughs> You sure I didn't see this I was just you sure this wasn't your dream that you had at one point during the match when things seemed to get a bit weird.
2: oh, you've outed me, David. It was a very long it was a very long match. Billy Jean and I were watching on the sofa. we had a little snooze. it was unplanned. I woke up um I woke up in a sort of semi sleep state, read the forty eight messages uh on the tennis podcast whatsapp group, and then I think I went back to sleep. Or semi-sleep for a bit and incorporated all those messages into a dream and then woke up again and sent you a bunch of insane messages <laughs> that bore no relation to reality whatsoever. And Matt did his usual thing of politely just staying silent, obviously thinking, what is she on? But I'm not going to say anything. And David pointed it right Catherine out. Catherine
3: joining in the uh, the tactical... Chat about what's like, going on. I've got to
2: join in here. Got to join in. Got to dis- disguise the fact that I've been asleep for the last two <laughs> this hours. Is
3: describing shots you dreamt about. Commented on a thing
2: that just didn't happen. <laughs> uh, Can I tell
3: you one thing that did happen that that, that I found <laughs> a, a little step on for Sitsipas? Certainly something that I hadn't seen from him before. He won two points at really important moments. I think one might have been to save a break point where he did a chip and charge using a drop shot and I, I just haven't seen that before from his backhand corner when Nadal is pinning him with that cross court forehand lasso forehand that's jumping up at his backhand and twice he just floated this little backhand drop shot cross court and charged after it and backed his own ability to to read what Nadal would do with the the pick and volley it past him, and and one time he volleyed it past him, and the other time Nadal didn't even get it over the net. But it was just a really that felt like a premeditated decision and tactic, and and something that I haven't seen from Pass before.
2: If Pass faces Nadal at the French Open, let's say he faces him in a in a semi final, he steps out onto the Philippe Chatrier court. Does that match in Barcelona, assuming they don't play between now and then, does that match in Barcelona give to pass belief? Or does he walk on thinking I played my best and David Law says that was my best for this season <laughs>
1: sure, that's on play?
2: <laughs> and it and it was best of three sets and Nadal's in better form now than he was then, what chance do I stand today?
3: Uh, I think he goes oh. on you go on with belief i think he is somebody who has total faith in what he does and when he Well makes...
2: until the, until he comes crashing down to reality they oh, sure. walked onto to, uh, he walked i know a lot that happened this is a very different defeat but you know he walked onto court against him in the australian open the first time they met with total belief and came off court uh building his grief chamber Uh,
3: and yeah Um, I I could I could imagine he could get a, a really rude awakening upon playing the actual match but I think he he's able to rebuild and build on top of previous successes very impressively actually now and I mean he built a bit of an aura winning Monte Carlo the way he did he won 17 sets in a row I thought he would win this final I have to say um and Nadal, just as a, a reminder of what he does when he hits top form, wrestled it away from him. But no, I think Sitsapas will come out of it ultimately thinking if he plays Nadal again, he'll think he has a chance. That's nodding. Mm.
4: Okay, Yeah, I completely agree with David. I just think the problem for Sitsapas is I think Nadal takes more confidence and belief and that yeah. will just be you know, if history has shown us anything, that is that that is even more the case when he gets to Roland Garros. And you, if, if it was like a video game character whose energy bar you can see filling up in front of you. Canister. Canister. That's the word, the tennis word. <laughs> and, and, you know, Nadal is not using his canister. He's filling it up at the moment, ready for a, an assault on Roland Garros.
2: Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a great visual. Over in Istanbul, Sarana Kastaya won her first title since 2008 with victory over Elise Mertens, or Elisa Mertens, 6-1, 7-6. She didn't drop a set all week, Kistea. Um, She was 18 when she won her last title. That was in Tashkent 13 years ago. Elisa Mertens did team up with Victoria Kudomatova to win the doubles titles is still a good week for Mertens but heck I didn't see that coming either Castella beating Mertens in that final and every now and then Castella just reminds me how how good she is I remember do you remember her win over Joe Conta at, at the US Open last year and I just thought how is she not higher ranked how has she not had a a better career I know she perhaps struggles with Nerves a bit, struggled with closing out matches, but she can look so good. Um, and still, and I don't quite understand, I don't think, the the career that she's had. I couldn't believe it had been 13 years since she had won a mm. title.
3: Which... Um means that she won a title when she was a teenager didn't win one when she was in her 20s and has now won one in her 30s which is extraordinary really um and and she did she came along as a a teen much hyped really and as you said struggled with nerves i think struggled to put it all together and in some parts of her career it's probably underperformed really but as almost a veteran now she's shown she's just a workhorse she just keeps on bringing it week after week you see her you see her all around the world on pretty not particularly prestigious tournaments and um still going about it because she loves the game and she it's a job it's she gives everything she's got every time and and yeah it's a nice story because as you say the the eliza mertens blueprint is she wins when she's up against people she's supposed to beat and so to take her out is quite an achievement Mm.
2: yeah I don't I don't know what it means for Castell. I don't sadly I don't think it necessarily changes what I expect from her or where I kind of position her in my mind um as a as a threat at the big tournaments but I'm really pleased for her And uh, I think that's a a great story. Um, Some other news from the week we've got Madrid starting this week. The women's tournament, I think, starts on Thursday. Uh, the men's tournament starts over the weekend. Coverage uh, we'll, coverage of all of it on Prime starts from Thursday, but we'll have studio coverage. I'll be presenting that from Sunday. Unfortunately, we had the news yesterday that Bianca Andreescu is out of the tournament after travelling to Madrid. She's tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, she tested twice negative before flying uh, and then uh, in her test upon arrival um Covid nineteen was detected, so she's had to withdraw from the tournament. Gutting for her. Um, I hope she's well. Uh, she, she says she's fine at the moment. Of course, her coach Sylvan Bruno was one of those that tested positive on the way to Australia, and she was forced into hard quarantine as a result. So um, tough one on that front for for Bianca Andreescu. Um We've got Estrel this week on the men's side. We also have uh, on our agenda here, Matt a chap called Jensen Brooksby mm. who's not one of our shout outs. <laughs> uh wh- wh- what is he? Why <laughs> what do we need to know about Jensen Brooksby, Matt?
4: Well, I just think given that Aslan Karatsev has become such a feature of our lives this year, you know, and and his run really started at the back end of last year when he won a load of challenger titles, I think we probably should be paying attention to Jensen Brooksby, who's a Six foot four, 20 year old American who only turned professional in January this year. And that, that was a choice to turn professional rather than going to college. He'd been injured for last last year. Anyway, he's won three Challenger titles already this year. He's had the best start to a Challenger Tour season since Kane Shikori in 2010. He's reached four finals, three titles, 19-2 win-loss record. And he's just won back-to-back titles on a hard court in Orlando and then a clay court in Tallahassee. So just just a good story from from the Challenger Tour and, you know, someone, someone to keep an eye on.
2: And one should definitely pay attention to Matt Roberts when he um, marks your card mm. about a young tennis player. Sometimes. <laughs> I'm thinking more sort of... Alcaraz than Kuzmova. Right. Matt. Okay. Yeah. But now I've said the K word. <laughs> all, all is tarnished. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, watch out for Jensen Brooksby. Definitely. I think that's it for our roundup of the week that was a look ahead. I always find Madrid interesting uh, because of the altitude there. It does put a slightly different complexion on things.
4: Looking forward to seeing Dominic Team, um, hopefully.
2: Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to Asuka. potentially hearing about Dan Evans speaking to Dominic <laughs> Team as a result of <laughs> as a result of uh Dominic Team sort of inadvertently in a very polite way sort of trashing him in the press <laughs> last week. Um some slightly weird quotes from Dominic Team about about Dan Evans sort of suggesting sort of su- implying that he's the sort of player that has succeeded uh, post-lockdown for very specific reasons. Um, anyway, I doubt that Dan Evans enjoyed those comments very much. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in that locker room. Uh, so Madrid getting underway this week. We have shout-outs to come. Uh, but first, I must make my apologies to Zeus once again, my mascot, my mascot. Uh, it's a consistent run of failures. Uh, I really feel like Petra Kvitova let us down this week. She served for the match uh, against Svitolina. Um, and, yeah, let us down rather badly, Zeus. We we will ride again. Uh, Matt, who did you let down this week? <laughs>
4: um, Scousal Mousel and I let down Annette Contevate who lost to Irina Sabalenka in a, a really good quarterfinal, actually.
3: I mean, she let you
4: down, really. Well, hmm. I suppose so, yeah. Anyway. David? And Maria Sakharin. Oh, we, we've
2: done yeah. you, you were out. You were out at the time of the last Maria Sakharin yeah. blew it
3: for us. Um,
2: I feel like someone's going to get points this week. Yeah.
3: Come on, Rogue. Sort yourself out. Probably down me.
2: Probably he, he's
3: got to the last two finals and uh, with uh, who, who was it first it time? It
4: was uh,
3: Jaume Munard. Oh, yeah, he came within an inch of winning a title <laughs> and then didn't.
4: We would have ended <laughs> then, the competition if he'd won, and then this time it was Savalenka.
3: We're all
2: being humiliated by the man that predicted France would win the ATP <laughs> Cup, and Correct. it's dreadful. Uh, Billy Jean is uh, sat at my feet just now, uh, saying. I am sponsored by Billie Jean King, and that's great. Uh, that's what she would be saying if she could, um, but she's not. She'll never know how cool she is, uh, but I know, and that's great. Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer, and he's a top bloke. And, of course, we have a mascot for this week. Uh, our mascot is Max, and he's a one-and-a-half-year-old tabby and white moggy, uh, which is uh, another word for cat uh who lives oh hang on no is moggy a word for, is that a type of cat or is it just slang for cat uh definitely a cat uh it he lives with alison rowe uh, our backer in new zealand so hello alison uh hello max haven't seen a picture of max yet but it's okay because i subscribe to the newsletter and that is where i will get to see lovely max uh we have shout outs matt and they are for
4: geraint Backer five seven five
2: just Geraint, so it might be Geraint Thomas. Might be Tour de France yes. winner.
3: I mean, I just Geraint's just the sort
2: absolutely of absolutely no evidence that it's not
3: just so, the sort of chapter can trade off the single name. So you know,
4: bloody impressive.
2: Well, exactly. Yeah.
4: Thanks for your support. We have Seth Wassing, right? Seth, who is receiving a shout out thanks to Kyle. Kyle oh. has given oh. a shout out to Seth. Gifting Watson. a
3: shout out. Mm. That's very cool.
2: Kyle and Seth, like they could be um, sort of lead characters in a sort of buddy, bro, jock. um Cop movie. Sort of, well, I was going to say sort of like super bad style teen movie. Sort of teen movie, <laughs> is it? Young adult. <laughs> YA. Anyway, moving on.
3: This is what?
4: And finally, it gives me great pleasure to give the final shout out today to Steve Armour.
2: Oh. Right, Steve. One of our very favourite people. Yes. Yeah. Hello, Steve. Yeah. You're the best, Steve. Thanks for your support and all your lovely emails. Um, that's it for our tennis podcast for this week. We'll be back, of course, on Thursday. Uh David, Matt, thank you for your company. It's
3: been a pleasure.
4: Thank you. Should we say that we're trying out some new technology today to record the podcast? And I've been anxious this whole time, hoping it's working. So if you're listening to this, it has worked. We'll see you next week.
2: No, we'll see you Thursday.
3: (laughs) The technology's all right, but we can't remember how to do it.
1: (laughs) Bye, folks.